And there's this moment where Isadora Duncan is joking with Nijinsky about what a dancer they would have if they were to bear a child together. And I thought it was really funny. I don't get it. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to I Don't Get It. This is a podcast about performance in Edmonton and beyond. Um, I'm Fonda. And I'm Andrew. And we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Good job, Andrew. All right. So, um, Matt, well, big episode this week. Lots of lots of very cool things. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be chatting about three different shows, uh, two of which you saw and one of which we saw together. Uh, and we actually went a long way to go see this show down in Banff. Uh, but that's going to be coming up uh, at the end of the episode. Yeah, we're going to we're going to close it off with the big kid pivot show. <laughs> um, but yeah, first, I, I did catch two other shows this week. Um, just last night, uh, I saw a Brian Webb Dance Company presentation of Wenwei's Dialogue. Um, so this is Wenwei Wong again, who is now um, a resident of Edmonton, um, co- uh, artistic director at Ballet Edmonton. Um, and he's also presenting um, with not only Brian Webb, but also Alberta Ballet <laughs> later this season. Um, so lots of work of Wenwei's that we're seeing here. Um, yeah, so I'm going to start with that. How about? All right. Uh, so maybe you can set us up um, with a little bit of background on, on Wenwei. He came from Vancouver. So Wenwei Wang uh, moved here from China. I think um, it's Wenwei Wang. It's actually Wang. Oh, okay. We've been doing it wrong for years. <laughs> it's spelled Wang, but it's pronounced Wang. This is, this is something I've learned. Um, yes, and sorry for all of the uh, mispronunciation over these last five years of the podcast. And anyway, in any case, yes, um, Wenwei moved uh, to Canada from China a uh, number of years ago and has been uh, creating work in Vancouver um, with his own company, Wenwei Dance. And so this this piece is actually a presentation by Wenwei Dance that was brought in by Brian Webb um, to present here. The work that he's doing with Ballet Edmonton is um, unique to that company, I believe. And then the work that he's doing with um, Alberta Ballet, I know, is a piece that we've seen before. It's called Futureland. Um, so in any case, this piece um, is for five male dancers. It's called Dialogue. And it's sort of... Um, it's an exploration of these sort of these five dancers, very distinct personality and identities. Um, they're all they're of they're of very different body types. They're of different cultural backgrounds, um, and it's kind of it's kind of a piece about. Um, it begins with a, a, a sort of like a communication game. I like I the one metaphor I want to refer to is the talking stick. But they seem to be throwing this ball of energy um, between each other that spurs movement. Um, and each dancer, kind of like in succession, you see them sort of like bring out their own language of gesture, and they each have sort of either their own costume piece or props that. Um, really kind of start illustrating the um, their variation and difference. Um, you know, like one is in heels, one is um, one uh, continues to cover his face with his t-shirt, sort of like, you know, that soccer style where they flip the front over their face. Um, and notably, actually, that dancer, um, I believe his name is Arash Kapoor. Um, he's, the, he's the largest dancer on the stage, but he moves with this incredible fluidity. Um, and the solo parts um, it, that 
that he did were really actually stuck out with me. Um, yeah, so it was. It's very interesting, you know, to watch a company of all male dancers, uh, a contemporary company that. You know, even in their duo work, if it's even if there is supposed to be a little bit of sort of sensuality or romance between it, I feel that the male duos do get away with a lot more um, aggression and sort of nuance in their interaction, whereas male or female pairings or even female female pairings are automatically given certain types of connotations. Um, and and so yeah, it was kind of interesting to see these guys uh, kind of pair off or even dancing in groups and um, having these sort of like little tete a tetes or discussions with each other through movement. Um, there was vocalization in it, um, you know, compared to some of the vocalization by dancers that we've seen um, in, uh, in in other performances this season. I'm not sure I, w- I I was that big of a fan of that part of it. Um, but they're really, they were great movers. Um, you kind of got to know them throughout the piece, which was neat. Um, and in the end, it was kind of... Um, you know, they started playing these sort of like boyish, almost, I want to say boyish games with each other, um, like games between gestures and hands. Um, and then it finally finishes with um, the the music was Leonard Cohen's Dance Me, um, which we've also seen in another show, of course, already this season. Um, but it was the, uh, they, one of the dancers, um, I believe it, it was Dario Danuzzi, um, brought up a female audience member on the stage and danced with her. Um, and that was the only female you saw on stage for the whole show. So I was like also just terrified for this audience member because I've never seen audience participation quite like that um, in contemporary dance. You know, it's usually more of like a group thing or or something like that. But um, yeah, so, so that was interesting. Um, so yeah, of all of the pieces we saw this week, that was actually kind of the most conventional one. <laughs> Okay, right, right. Um, What was going on with the lighting? Uh, And were there any sort of costuming, um, costumes of note in in the Wenwei piece? I didn't notice too much about the costumes other than um, that each of them seemed to have their own sort of like prop. Like they each kind of had either a different hat or a different um, sort of like thing they would put on like there was the one guy in heels which was which was very good he was a very good dancer um because it and and the the other side of the dance me piece was um him doing a tango with one of the other performers um and so that was interesting to see too um yeah and i think the the lighting was pretty stark you saw the bare bones of the stage it was all kind of spotlit from the back I'll also say that when you're spotlighting from the back and you want to blast your audience with light after they've been in low light for a while, give them a moment to adjust. <laughs> I always get this like crazy eye watering when they just do the huge spotlight. And I don't know, maybe it's I have I have weak eyes. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that was that was sort of um, what I noticed about the uh, about more of the technical aspects of the show, I guess. All right. And so what was the next show that you saw? And I believe that you brought a guest along this time. Yes. Speaking of technical aspects of the show, um, the next piece that I saw was called Room 2048 by a group uh, Hong Kong Exile, also out of Vancouver. Um, And uh, I'm just going to let the reaction that Laura and I had play out, and then I'll talk about it again in a little bit. (laughs) Okay. So let's throw to that hot take with Fonda Mithrush and Laura Rabu. Oh my god, what a thing. 
What an incredible freaking thing. Wow, holy cool. cow. Um, hi, Laura. Hi, Fonda. How, how are you feeling right now? Like I just went for a trip somewhere really different than the normal world. <laughs> yeah, didn't we? Um, so we just came out of um, a Vancouver Arts Company, Hong Kong Exile, uh, a show they did called Room 2048, which was part of the Chinook series, um, presented also as part of Mile Zero Dance's Dance Crush series. Um, so, you know, just give me give me a few quick words, Laura, on your on your first impressions. What were we What were we really seeing? <laughs> <laughs> well, the the way the mm, square lighting juxtaposition of like pop music to complete like I want to say reminded me of Buto like stillness. Uh, with slight movement on top. Yeah, there was like there was like this real yeah there was real juxtaposition between light and dark, yep. um, and between movement and stillness for sure. Um, and I feel that the way that they used the light in this was absolutely incredible. There were and there was it felt very cinematic. It felt like they were visually building just as much with choreography as they were with light. Yes, they had this project two projectors at their disposal hanging from the grid just pointed at the ground which I've wanted to try for so long <laughs> like it's I was like oh my god it does work <laughs> everyone said it was impossible but they had everything at their disposal but they chose to be extremely simple it was very I would say it was very um the lighting was very black and white you know they used blackouts. Yeah, yeah, they used absolute blackouts on yeah. stage too and they would um they would kind of oscillate a little bit between like crazy frenetic movement that's happening in the darkness while something else was being lit where it just oh. didn't feel like there was movement happening at all yeah. um, the some of the some of the um, movement and the way that the light was playing um, the projectors were sort of like they're projecting these bars of light that are also sort of like going through a rotation and moving yeah. and so in certain in certain sequences these bars of light are moving around and the performers are also sort of directing themselves in the direction of this bar of light so it looks almost like there's a spotlight that's following them through 3d space and time like it reminded me a little bit of trying to play a like game. a video game yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like what is it called like street fighter or something something my kids would play where there's two like opponents and then all of a sudden like something would happen and they'd sort of shift to a different position but they're sort of suspended in like time in a way yeah totally and they're and because of the way that they're shifting with the light um it looks like you they're actually you're following their perspective or there be or the light is almost like pushing them along yeah. um and so and then there were other parts that were very sustained and very still and you're just like how long is this going on chapter eight <laughs> yeah and it's just like this is going on for ten thousand years <laughs> <laughs> i know i like it um in their in the press release that they that they sent out with or that mile zero sent out with this um it says that they've sourced a lot of inspiration from one car Wise films, um, and all I can think of is Chunking Express, and that uh, like Chunking Express is one of the, these really really cool films. It's ki kind of like a weird love story, um, but it also it uses the loop of California Dreaming. So you, every time you hear this song key up, you know there's they're, they're sort of like taken back to a certain time and feeling. Um, and in this in this space, they they use this like really bombastic pop song. Um, 
and they were and it would also just get really like um there was one part i feel like they were playing it but it was a very sort of like muddled droned out version of it and so it started getting real weird <laughs> I know. Uh, but yeah yeah i like and then and then just also it felt like there was any time there was actual like there were three performers in the piece um two male one female and Anytime that there seemed like there was actually about to have connection between the characters, it seemed to just snap off. Yeah, definitely. And I'm definitely getting images of uh, time. Yeah, the story was cyclical, even though the lighting was so grid-like and um, so straight. So there's a really nice juxtaposition of line and circle all the time. And it gave me, like, the end looked like a clock, I guess, and it looked like someone looking back. And so that, that, that pop song that we'd heard so bombastically was now just sort of like isolated and filtered so that it sounded like it was in a like tin can radio yeah like away. it was getting far away right yeah. there was a really interesting interplay with the sound I feel of like being inside and outside of it you know and like and they would do that with the light too there were there were parts where it looks like the light was sort of supposed to make a room and then the darkness was either outside of that room so you were either in the dark you were, or you were in the room and the sound kind of cued you into like where you were supposed to be feeling yeah. um, so so that was that was that was pretty interesting. I'm not gonna say, um, you know, they're uh, they're also really um, in in their uh, kind of write up about the show. They're talking a lot about um, the the Cantonese diaspora, and um, I I mean I, it's a subject that I really don't know a whole ton about. But just watching this, you could see you feel this sort of like sense of nostalgia and a real just like strong emphasis on visualizing that um, on visual visualizing that feeling yeah and just like um yeah the feeling of being in a crowd the feeling of being uh, lost and on the outside Mm -hmm. of isolation and there was something really rigid about um the environment you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like everything was quite controlled and rigid and you felt oppression i felt oppression like yeah yeah well there were definite rules there were definite rules to the way that they set the lighting that they set this the pace um and the way that movement was being done in the show you're just kind of like okay they're playing within a certain um you know like a certain framework uh and like a system yeah and yeah the one and also though it was kind of it was not afraid to um just sort of like poke poke fun at some of the more mundane aspects and about itself too yeah. like there was you know in the one one of the parts where they the one of the male and female characters do make connection they're in their underwear and he, he the male character is actually taking off pair after pair after pair of of tidy of whiteies <laughs> i'm just like how many is he fitting on i think there were six <laughs> but they were like but yeah it was just kind of like in every consecutive time he would like do this sort of like little like sexy gesture with it and it's just like nope there's one more pair on there there's one more like there's still no nudity except for at one moment actually there finally was and then you find out that the mic has still just been laying on the stage the entire time it's still on so when he cleans up all of the stuff you you know you you, he definitely hear this mic going off into the wing and then like throwing the pile of clothes down (laughs) just like I which I appreciate I appreciate it when you know things can things can kind of like 
like make fun of themselves a little bit too just kind of be like yeah this is actually supposed to be funny even though we're like seem to be very rigid and playing with all these rules too yeah Yeah. this is cool I liked it when they had the underscore from my way by Frank Sinatra and then it just cut out and then he just sang without anything and (laughs) a lot of like uh, vulnerability in in that Mm -hmm. yeah there was an incredible amount of vulnerability it was really really um, refreshing to see so yeah that was that was just one hour one more hour at Chinook like holy cow all right well thanks for joining us on this one Laura Um, have a real good time in the next show bye (laughs) bye All right, so thanks again to Laura Rabu for um, joining me in the car for those um, hot takes in a very frigid car. (laughs) Um, I guess my final thoughts on the show, uh, both shows, um, while it was pretty amazing to see so much Wenwei in a single season here in the city, um, it's also a thrill to see something as very challenging and unique as the Hong Kong Exile show. I don't know if it was necessarily as accessible thematically or um, in terms of where you can just maybe appreciate like super virtuosic movement. Um, There was so much more, I want to say, extreme subtlety in the Room 2048 show that I was I was just left slack jawed by some parts in that show. So, um, yeah, I think um, in comparison, I think that's what made dialogue seem a lot more just like straight up conventional um but felt very very fortunate to actually catch both of those pieces uh side by side almost because it was it, it it really actually kind of like fed into how i thought about each each other so yeah so that was kind of cool <laughs> great well fonda i think it's time for an ad and how This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Let's Do Coffee, hosted by Daniel Van Velen and produced by the Maji Center for New Venture and Student Entrepreneurship at Nate. Each episode of Let's Do Coffee features an interview with a student entrepreneur or a Nate alumnus, where they explore the challenges involved in operating new companies. Recent guests include Alex St. Louis, founder of cloud gaming service Digiplay, and chef Sylvia Chivary of the acclaimed Beaumont Bistro Chartier, which was voted one of Canada's best new restaurants in 2017. You can listen to the show and all its episodes at nate.ca slash Center. Great. Yeah. Shakti is a great restaurant. I just want to say. <laughs> yeah, we tried the lobster poutine there like, once. Uh, it was poutine. it was massive. <laughs> it was it was rich. Very rich. Okay. Now speaking of rich <laughs> but not really uh what where what did we do this week andrew well this weekend we ventured out to the bamp center to catch kid pivot's new show revisor uh and this was as always uh that seems to be the case with kid pivot's work uh it was like a real treat uh to catch um so there was a ensemble of uh, how many dancers about eight dancers six dancers um, I think there were nine. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, so a big old, yeah, a big old, <laughs> big old uh, company of dancers, and this show um, starts off with uh, meeting some of these characters at a place called 
the complex. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of a little bit of a take on the play, um, the government inspector. So it sets up uh, the premise of the director of the complex uh, chatting with the postmaster about the center who oversees uh, this complex sending a reviser to come and uh, investigate and make some changes to the department, which nobody uh, is looking forward to uh, <laughs> at, at the complex. Yeah, there's this sort of ripples of discomfort that are happening around the news that this inspector, or as we come to know him, the a reviser is, is showing up. Um, so what now the last Kid Pivot show that we saw um, with these same two um, main creative collaborators, Crystal Pite and Jonathan Young. Uh, Jonathan Young was not performing in this one, although he was the main character in Betroffenheit. Um some of the similar sort of um, uh, techniques that we saw were this use of uh, like an over like an overhead PA of dialogue and script um, that was animated and danced to by the cast. And I just I, it's 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 not pantomime. It's like such a heightened pantomime. They're not like really miming what they're saying, but they are down to every single sound and syllable accentuating what is being said in the script. Um, and so they're essentially kind of talking about, you know, all of their frets and what they should do for this for this inspector. <laughs> oh, yes, preparing for the reviser. Uh, yeah, so not only are they, uh, like, lip-syncing uh, to the dialogue, but their bodies are moving to, as you said, every single syllable. So the result of this, uh, I would call, I, would, I think the movement could be best described as very big and exaggerated. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Um, you know, all the way down to like in, in a single word, sometimes you'll have like movement from the shoulders that go all the way down to the fingertips just to sort of, uh, you know, uh, really accent or accentuate, um, you know, the words being said. And what comes across is um, this very funny, uh, it starts out very funny, like people are laughing out loud just because of the big kind of goofy, exaggerated nature of the movement. Uh, the dialogue itself is very funny. Uh, you sort of immediately get the sense that, you know, this complex is, you know, uh, a nightmare of bureaucracy. Uh, it's, um, you know, vague, or, you know, it's being said in sort of a, kind of a military context. The costuming is like big sort of uh, military regalia, uh, you know, kind of looking like, um, either Eastern European generals or I, I almost got the sense of, um, you know, even African dictators, you know, the big uh, pomp and circumstance of like these big, big shoulder pads <laughs> and like draped in metals and um, uh, all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, even well, thinking about the government inspector, the play is kind of a farce of a farce almost like the it's it's inspired by a play that was done about the government inspector. So um, it's kind of, um, and, and of course within that, just knowing that you kind of automatically get this sort of like Russian, Russian corruption, you know, thing in the back of your mind. But yeah, um, the cast of characters in the town sort of become obsessed with either impressing or tr or fooling this revisor who I want to note because we'll loop back to it uh, um talking about it more but is the he's there to revise a document to to move a comma 
as it were. Um, and it's just kind of like the entire thing seems to be this comment on, you know, corruption and, and yes, bureaucracy as well, but also just that kind of like insane amount of like politic and energy that goes into just something as simple and inane as, as moving a comma, which as a grammarian, I will note, does change the meaning of things. But, <laughs> but it um there's just this 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 weight to um to something that's so seemingly small but carries so much meaning which i think also then um you know kind of played into how even some like simple spoken sentences or laughter turned into these um you know flares of of dance and movement that were just you know incredible to watch so initially there's that narrative part of the first half where the script is read sort of quite directly by characters it's actually all read by actors a cast of actors who are different than the dancers so the dancers are really kind of like allowed to, you know, freely express with bodies knowing that it's it's not really their own voices. And you can kind of, it, it was interesting in the sound design, um, again, done by Alessandro Giuliani and Meg Rowe um, and Owen Belton, same sound team as it was for Petroffenheit. Um, but yeah, it, it really kind of, it was such a unique way to watch a dance show in that there's not very much music, say, but there's a lot of movement to speaking. And then the second half, the script completely changes. It's still being spoken overhead, but it's mostly by one woman, um, or one, a one woman's voice. And it's kind of somewhere between like stage directions and dance notation and like motivation blocking that an actor would use in like their own sort of personal script yeah it was very much uh like a choreographer as narrator mm-hmm. um and uh, and similar to betroffenheit and many of other uh of crystal pite's work uh the second half or this two-part sort of uh structure where the first part she gives us like this really solid narrative um that we can really sink our teeth into and then the second half uh all of sort of the the pomp and circumstance of uh costuming and uh whatnot is just stripped away and you just get this pure dance yeah, and that's of course what we've come to truly appreciate about these um, about this company. Really, is that there's such a good way in there. In fact, there are many ways in to enjoy this show. Not only you get you get a clear narrative, but you also just get this really great dance, this great movement. Like some of the movement sequences, particularly by David Raymond, um, like just you know he plays the he plays the reviser's assistant, um, but just. Just like, you know, incredible, incredible physicality. Um, And even, yeah, many of the characters had their own sort of um, uh, things. But I want to, going back to what the script sounded like, it would be sort of, you know, they would say things like, arms overhead, turns around, the character is overcome. And then so like, you see what overcome looks like. And it's like, oh, Jesus, that's so good. Yeah, yeah this yeah. this is how they build this built this show. Uh, yeah. So it's very meta. Uh, yeah. And uh, speaking of David Raymond, uh, I just have to say that one of the most stunning parts of the show was with David hiding under a bed while uh, the reviser character is talking to one of the directors of the complex and. 
it happens in the second part. So this scene is played in, like in full costume in the first half, and you don't really notice what's going on underneath the bed with David because there's no lighting under there. At the on the you first time around, you forget yeah. he's there because he's hiding. But in the second part, um, they light under the bed, and he's doing like this, just fine tense muscle movement where he's almost just jittering and shaking. It's like, um, you know, a body in strobe yeah, <laughs> almost. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just for a couple seconds. Uh, but you're just, I remember just like kind of grabbing your arm, like, Oh, that is very cool and, and powerful. Um, so I just wanted to, to flag that um, as, as one of my standout moments of, of the show. Yeah, and I also wanted to point out um, Tiffany Tregarthen. She plays the she plays the reviser, the male reviser, who removes the beard for the second half. Um, it was also the um, played the role of kind of the weird, creepy clown in Betroffenheit. So it was really interesting to see such a like kind of like starkly different character as, as the same mover and Jermaine. Sp- Bivy um, as the postmaster. Yes. Uh, he, <laughs> he was great too, just sort of like a great character. And uh, the dancer that played D'Souza, which was some called something like the Minister of Culture, Religion and Event Planning. There was like religion and event planning were in her title somewhere. But she had just this like, she had two of the most sort of incredible parts of the show were in the first half. She's sort of the final one that um, leaves the inspector or kind of throws everyone else under the bus with the inspector but explains all of this corruption that's going on and then um and then returns at the end with this like i think the most emotional moment of the show where it's just like the subject is moved the subject is moved kept getting repeated and it was like so beautiful yeah yeah it was it was a very moving show and i also uh, quite enjoyed uh, matthew peacock um he had a few great bits um particularly um, as far as like a striking sort of costume uh, heavy moment was him as the ceremonial stag. Uh, so in the first half, um, they welcome the reviser with a ceremonial uh, dance, which includes um, Matthew Peacock in this very strange uh, kind of deer creature outfit. And in the first half, this scene uh, with this costume is, you know, it's a little, okay, he has antlers and like a furry mask. Uh, great. Uh, but in the second part, uh, where everything is sort of stripped down, it's almost like this strange, perverse version of that dance where now the antlers are attached to his hands and he's wearing this loincloth and strange, long, like, um, almost like horsehair tassels uh, draped, uh, you know, uh, off of this loincloth. And it kind of reminded me of uh, the TV show Hannibal. <laughs> oh, well, that, that image for sure yeah, of that, the stag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and sort of like this perversion of like um, nature. <laughs> it's just this very grotesque, bizarre um, part of the show that uh, was also a little quite, quite striking uh, for me. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know what you appreciate so much about that kind of like, you know, the, the tee up in the first half and then the second half becomes that really sort of like um, digression um, and discussion basically on what was happening in the first half. And, and then to, you know, to see like how things morph and change um, because you've had the opportunity to like get a sense of the first part, the first, the, what it is in the story that, um, you know, what it turns into in the, in the end is always just kind of like, 
just a really odd surprise sometimes. And um, yeah, so feel really fortunate that we were able to get down to Banff to see this show. Um, it It is having its official opening in Vancouver, and then it's going to tour nationally and um, not to Edmonton, <laughs> uh, at least not in the next while. Yeah, uh, so I guess we should note, too, that the performance we saw was technically the last dress rehearsal before it goes to actually have its official opening. Yeah, it was uh, the official opening. So all that, we're, all that we're talking about now might have completely changed by the time they open in Vancouver. <laughs> back to the drawing board. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even the even the people at the BAM Center who introduced the show said, you know, if, if, you, if you care about dance in Canada, you, you're, you're, you'll be happy to be here. And we were just like, yeah, totally. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was kind of what we did on Valentine's Day. Happy anniversary, Andrew. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Fonda. <laughs> All right. And with that, we'll go to our next ad. Coming soon, you can catch That's a Thing live in a session called The Internet is My GSA. Mom and daughter podcast duo Elizabeth Spencer and Karen Unland will record on March 17th at the Skirts of Fire Festival, which features the work of women in the arts in Edmonton. You'll hear their regular kind of chat about modern media, and then they'll have a panel with guests from the fest. For more info about That's the Thing and all of the Alberta Podcast Network's member podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. Great. All right. So, um, well, what, what else is happening? Let's, let's just head right into the listings. All right. Well, until March 31st, Lend Me a Tenor is playing at the Mayfield Dinner Theater. Uh, we Are Not Alone by Damian Atkins is running now at Theater Network at the Roxy on Gateway until March 3rd. And until March 17th, you can catch Matilda at the Citadel Theater. And next weekend, Alberta Ballet's Deviate, uh, which is a triple vill uh, featuring choreographies by Jean Grabmaitre, um, Christopher Anderson, and Wenwei Wong. Uh, that's running February 22nd and 23rd at the Jubilee Auditorium. And from February 27th to March 9th, you can catch Labo M at uh, Chez Pierre's, and that is being produced by Mercury Opera. At Chez Pierre. All right. Um, well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, yeah. Enjoy the cold. Go see some stuff. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov. Sit here thinking about love.